Well, Radio Brews News listeners, an absolute treat for you all today uh, as we introduce a guest who is perhaps not as well known as uh, some of his compatriots and also not as well known as the people for whom he brews. His name's Neil Whitten. He's been in the caper for about 45 years or so. Without giving his age away, uh, welcome to Radio Brews News, Neil Whitten, and happy 70th for last week. You just said you weren't going to give my age away. Yeah, happy uh, uh, whatever it is uh, to me. Um, I've forgotten it already. Uh, it was a great day. Um, and hello, listeners. Thanks for that, Neil. Hey, listen, mate, you've been around. I, we, we first met, I was trying to uh, work out the other day. Uh, it was, I'm pretty sure it was It was back at the garage. Uh, I think when, um, ironically enough, Brad had just left with Ross and Jamie to go away and, uh, and you know, scribble on the back of a napkin and come up with the concept for what is now stone and wood. Um, and you were then brewing under Scott Vincent at... Uh, at the garage, the, the old stockade brewery out at Dandenong South here for Matilda Bay. Um, we've had a, a many beers together since then. Uh, mate, talk us through perhaps how you got to, to that stage. Where did your brewing career start? Well, it started at CUB in 1971 uh, when they it was my, went for a job interview. They said, what, what would you like to do uh, at CUB, I, which I had no idea about, fresh, fresh graduate. I said, would you like to be a brewer? And I, I thought, oh, it sounds all right. I don't know what a brewer does. And uh, so it started, started from CB 1971. Um, I've had a lot of uh, travel uh, with, uh, with that company, uh, Fiji, uh, Cairns, a lot of breweries that don't exist anymore, like in Cairns, the uh, brewery at Brisbane, which in Fortitude Valley, which is no longer there, um, the brewery in... East Melbourne, which is no longer there, the brewery in Boobery Street, Carlton, which is no longer there. So I've had a I've had a great uh, trip around with um, with them, uh, seen a, seen a lot, done a lot. Um, uh, and then uh, you know, in the mid eighties, um, you sort of think. Oh, Just before you go on, Neil, it's uh, it, it, it's Matt here. I'm, the the only thing that I see that's uh, consistent is. You're there, and none of these breweries are. I hope. I, I hope that's got nothing to do with you. The fact that all of these breweries that you've worked for are no longer around. Look, I give each brewery uh, that I go to uh, a warning, uh, and uh, <laughs> actually, uh, the one in Dandenong, uh, yes, it did uh, shut down. Uh, the Stockade Brewery, which became Matilda Bay, that has shut down. Uh, the one in Port Melbourne, well, it didn't quite shut down, but it certainly changed hands. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I gave uh, Brad and the boys uh, the warning. Uh, anything I've touched has uh, turned to bloody solid rock. Um, <laughs> and uh, they felt confident enough that, uh, you know, we might be able to uh, get through this one. Um, so, and so far, so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and while it does, uh, you do make it sound a little bit like you've left a trail of destruction behind you. You've also, uh, <laughs> I guess, uh, left your fingerprints over quite a few beers that would be household names to a lot of people, uh, unless there are, you know, the beers that you were responsible for have also been delisted. <laughs> oh, there's a few of those as well, but uh, certainly been associated uh, with some uh, great successes, uh, Fat Yak uh, being one of them, and Brad was had a fair bit to do with that as well. Uh, yes, but... Uh, I've seen some uh, lovely brews uh, bite the dust, which uh, is often a shame. But there again, you can uh, you, they can always be in a, in a place like this where I'm at at the moment. We've got 
you know, the brewery, we've got the pilot plant, we've now got these uh, little 20-litre brews we're pushing through. They can always be resurrected and uh, played with. Uh, and that is so much fun and that's that's the beauty, you know, of this uh, craft beer industry. It's really uh, awesome scene to be in as it was, you know, back in year 2001 when I sort of got associated with craft beer. It's just been one hell of a roller coaster ride which has not stopped. Perhaps my one regret is I used to know everyone in the craft beer industry. Uh, you know, there might have been 20 craft breweries in Australia. Now, what is there? There may be 420, and I don't get around that much. Uh, I don't know as many of the breweries and as many of the people, but it's still um, the people that I do associate with uh, are awesome people. And, yeah, for, so for those who haven't caught up with the with the story, just to, just to fill in the blanks, so when... Uh, Matilda Bay decided to pull up stumps and uh, take the well, you know, Fat Yak to Yatla and the rest of the Matilda Bay beers down to, to Cascade. You decided that, uh, well, I'm assuming that they offered you a spot there and you decided that wasn't for you. Did you then call Brad and say, have you got anything going? Or did he call you and say, look, you, if, you're, if you're at a loose end, I might have something up here? How did, how did you come to, to be at Stone and Wood? Um, actually, all the brewers at Port Melbourne were made redundant at that stage um so most of them got jobs at uh, little creatures and because of my association with brad and i was pretty advanced in years and thought well gee there's a sliver of a chance here uh, i did uh, call him and uh, move up uh, to northern new south wales um two and a half years ago so i guess i was um 67, 68, it's a pretty uh, ripe old age to, to make a move uh, like that and for someone to take me on. So I, I do appreciate, you know, that I'm still surviving and doing okay in, in the industry. And for those who haven't met Neil, it's fair to say he, he is a fairly fit um, fella. His fitness certainly belies his age and, and for any Adelaide Crows fans out there, uh, they may be familiar with your work uh, running drinks out to the boys um, on several occasions. So there's, there's, there's nothing wrong with your fitness, champ. Yeah, well, uh, that's um, if you're going to drink the product, I think it also helps to um, to keep the fitness level up. So, yeah, I still work and I have all my life worked on running and um, a bit of gym. And uh, I can drink a little bit, uh, but, uh, you know, not, not bloody every day. Uh, but I do lead, lead the charge in the office uh, in the afternoon. You know, it gets to four or five o'clock and I'm the first to say, um, it's time for a beer, guys and girls. I, I have heard that. Hey, listen, now, the other thing too, Neil, <laughs> that uh, um, many people your age, and I say this with all due respect, um, would have got off the tools quite early in their career relative to what you've done. You've managed to stay very, very hands-on. Um, recent video I saw of you climbing the brew, what you call the, the, the brew tower, then you've always called the brew tower. Um, you've, you've always been a very hands-on brewer. Is that something that's very important to you or do you just figure that, you know, you wouldn't really enjoy sitting around the boardroom, you know, discussing beer names and, and recipe developments? Like for one reason or another, um I did have a break from the brewing industry at one stage. Uh, I've never progressed up into uh, administration or the office, and uh, I've really secretly been uh, glad of that. Yes, I would not enjoy a um, you know nine to five 
day uh, sitting in front of a computer or whatever. Um, I st- still struggle with computers too. But, yeah, so it's given me the opportunity to, uh, to be hands-on uh, just about all my uh, brewing life, and I really appreciate that, and I thrive in that sort of uh, environment. You've seen a lot of change in the 45 years that you've been brewing. What's some of the most significant changes that you've seen? And more importantly, I guess, uh, what things have stayed the same? Uh, Well, I guess brewing stays the same, doesn't it? Uh, And there are passionate brewers uh, in in all parts of our industry, uh, the big breweries plus the uh, craft breweries. Um, But I guess the biggest change, I guess, has been uh, craft, craft beer, uh, and it, you know, started with a whimper, and uh, I think it was probably 1984 or so with um, Matilda Bay with Phil Sexton, um, and certainly struggled uh, for uh, a number of years. And I remember in uh, the very early, around about uh, the year 2000, being introduced to um, a little creature's pale ale, and I thought, uh, I thought this was the most glorious thing I'd ever smelled or tasted uh, and so I was sort of hooked at that stage and the industry sort of started getting into a bit of gear in um, in the 2000s and it was still difficult um, for the people in the industry because the uh, big breweries uh, seem to have uh, everything tied up uh, good and tight but I guess there's been a revolution in uh, pubs and hotels and bars as well in that uh, they've push back a, a bit at the uh, big uh, breweries, which has been great and has created taps and spaces for uh, craft beer. And now every, uh, you know, good pub or bar has um, has craft beer spots. And they, if there's anything interesting going, they're normally asking for it. It's great. Neil, mate, tell us a little bit about uh, how you came to get into brewing in the first place. You, you, you have been doing it for a long time. These days, we see a lot of home brewers who are attracted to to it through getting involved in home brewing, but what attracted you to brewing and how did you come to get your first brewing job? Yeah, well, it's, it's, as I mentioned, it was it was um, nearly the first job I applied for after getting some qualifications uh, and um, they accepted me and I didn't really know what I was getting myself in for, uh, but immediately enjoyed the process and the physicality of it. Yeah, yeah that's, uh, that's, I guess, how I got there. And uh, craft beer has sort of come onto the scene while in the middle of, you know, my brewing uh, life. And uh, I've just, just loved it. It just was a, a whole new dimension being opened up. Neil, I think one thing that probably stands out about um, Stone and Wood in particular is the fact that they've really built a very strong brand and it's been around uh, fairly approachable, yeah, sessionable if you like, but very, you know, good solid beers based on uh, some on, you know, whim and, and then some on, on more traditional recipe bases. Does it surprise you to see that many other breweries now who I guess went out hard with, uh, you know, big barrel aged outs or imperial IPAs and things like that are, are now introducing, uh, you know, lagers and golden ale, summer ale style beers into their range? No, I guess it doesn't surprise me. And I, I I suppose as a craft brewer, the more complex brews are the ones that you sort of would like to brew and to to brew well. But eventually it comes down to, you know, 90% or whatever it is of the Australian public are drinking um, 
standard lagers from the big breweries, if you're going to make some dollars, you really have to come down to something that is easier to drink and, and is sessionable. Uh, it can still be... Uh, you can still put your, your love and your art into, into that brew. And it comes down to, I might like an IPA. I do like IPAs, but I can only drink a glass of it, really. And then I'm, I'm struggling uh, with it. Okay, some of the listeners may uh, disagree with that and drink a lot more than that. But I can drink Pacific Ales forever. You know, there's nothing. Uh, and it's delicious. Um, so... Yeah, it doesn't surprise me that uh, you can go into an industry with um, the ideals of wanting to do, you know, Goza, wanting to do XIPAs, wanting to do the highest BU beer in the world and all the rest of it, or the highest alcohol. But eventually, um, yeah, do them, do them, and do them as, um, you know, buy product beers or whatever you want to call them. But you should have some sessionable craft beers and that's not putting it down by saying you know that they are sessionable you've got to make money out of it uh, and you also want people to be able to have a session with it and not just one glass yeah spot on matt yeah that's one of those really interesting tensions that seems to exist in in the world of craft beer there's a lot of people who give voice on various social media sites talking about you know approachable or gateway as if it's a incredibly negative aspect to beer but they're, they're the beers that we all fell in love with well most of us i guess these days people are coming to ipas are a little bit different but at the same time you know they are the beers that as you say do sell more of um and you know more people are able to enjoy and people are in, able to enjoy more of them is that one of the pressures that's going to put the brakes on the expansion of the craft beer industry when you know do you need 400 breweries that are all making a summer ale, golden ale, pilsner. Uh, you know, are we going to see too many breweries making the same beer, or do people have to try and balance those approachable beers with also having a like an interesting headline range? Oh yeah, I think you can have have a mix, and also in perhaps tempting people with a more sessionable uh, craft beer. Really, you're starting. You're you're leading them on the journey. Then you're leading them on the journey into craft beer, even with some of the uh, Matilda Bay beers, you know, let's say like Bees Knees, I thought, oh, you know, this, this is, was an entry uh, to, for people into craft beer. Once, once you've got people hooked on craft beer, okay, you, you start leading them down a, a more complex path, if you want to call it that, um, where you challenge them and people rise to the, to the challenge too. You challenge them with, you know, how you start using the malt and the yeast and the water and the, and the hops. Um, uh, that you make something that has got a lot more character to it, and people rise to the challenge, and they start. They then start demanding um, uh, interesting beers. So, yeah, I think I think every craft brewery needs to have perhaps uh, an easier to drink, more sessionable beer, because as you say, we've grown up with that before craft beer was about. And then, uh, yeah, have have. Uh, then start challenging uh, people, and they can be things like um, seasonals, you know, you, or uh, one-offs, or whatever it is. If they're good, you can repeat them. Um, if they're really good, well, yeah, they become one of your, your mainstays as well. So it's not... I don't think there's going to be a stage, or not yet, where we're going to be overdone with, you know, good sessionable 
APAs or whatever, um, at the moment, uh, still on the ascendancy, if you have got your business plan in place and you're brewing good beer, you're still going to make it uh, as, a, as a craft brewer. And I wish, I wish, I wish I was just slightly younger and I could have taken, I could have taken advantage of, you know, a, a Queensland that, or New South Wales that was sort of behind the times with craft beer and is now, they're now catching up bloody fast. I wish that uh, looking at my mates, uh, Brad Rogers and Ross, Jamie, you know, if I'd only only then, uh, but, you know, I was I was pretty old even at that age, um, made made the jump. So it's still happening. It still will happen, and there's certainly there's no, and you you only have to look at the uh, American market and say that we're five ten years behind. I don't know how many they're they're increasing per day at some great number. You know, it might be 400 per day. They're increasing uh, craft beers. Uh, a lot of them will will well, not a lot. Some of them will fail, uh, but and some will fail here here uh, as well. Um, you still have to have uh, you know the business model and and uh, do things sensibly. But it's still a phenomenal industry. Um, and uh, there's no sign of any slackening off at this stage. Mate, you, you talked a little bit about getting uh, people in with the, the, the sort of pale ales and the golden ales and the summer ales and then challenging them to go along. What is your thought about the notion of the gateway beer? Oh, which one are you talking about? Um, it, of what is a gateway? Yeah, so th- this idea that there are some beers that are gateways that encourage, uh, you know, coax people out of the mainstream lagers and into craft. Um, the, the, the reason I ask is I had a discussion recently where I sort of have started wondering whether calling some beers gateways, some of the lighter flavoured beer gateways, almost suggests that if you make the, the, the step up from a mainstream lager to a, to a nice golden ale, for example, but you stop there and that becomes just your choice of drink, that you've somehow failed as a beer drinker. Oh, definitely not. Uh, and otherwise, you know, you'd say that, you know, 90% or whatever it, whatever it is, uh, where's craft brewers might uh, uh, look down our noses and I think without justification that um, 90% of the population still drinks, uh, you know, uh, mainstream mainstream beers. Uh, so it's easy to take the high ground from a, from a low percentage point, which we sort of do in a way. Uh, so it is not a failure that if you are drinking um, your favourite Sierra Nevada or something like that, that you don't go any further than that. That's fine. That is fantastic. Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, beautiful, beautiful beer. In fact, many, probably the reason why many uh, brewers uh, have tried or will try um, to make an American Pale Ale. But, you know, this sessionable beer, you know, it still can be, um, it could be a Saison. I mean, how easy to drink a Saison. which is what was made for my uh, 70th birthday uh, and um, came with a kick, though, because my 70th birthday was made at 7% and I wasn't told the alcohol percent, so I, I downed quite a few of them before uh, <laughs> it started kicking in. Uh, but it's so easy to drink and so many of the people that were there uh, just, you know, and these are people from Stone and Wood who are into all different beers, uh, really loved that Saison. Easy to drink. 
Neil, I guess Stone and Wood for a lot of people is, you know, the brewery that uh, had to pretty much double its size just to keep up with um, pumping out Pacific Ale. So it may have come as a bit of a surprise to some of our, our listeners to hear that you uh, have a couple of 20 litre systems going there as well. What Talk us talk us through the, the purpose behind those. Oh, well, it's being handcrafted. Uh, we pride ourselves on that here. Um, we have to get out the volume that we uh, put out, which is a lot. We've got lots of brewers here and it we started uh, thinking, um, uh, and a lot of new brewers, you know, they're new, new on the scene, haven't even brewed before. You know, they punch out their Pacific Ale day after day after day, occasionally might do Green Coast Lager or Jasper or something like that. Uh, was to, we're trying to uh, make a, apart from putting them through uh, general certificate exams in brewing and diplomas, etc., to get them to really think about what they do and, and the implications of what they do as well, because it's very easy being handcrafted that you miss a temperature by two degrees or that the pH is wrong or, or whatever. So the thought was to start a competition with 20-litre brews, uh, and it was meant initially to teach the brewers, you know, just to push in the fundamentals, you know, how, when are the, you know, why the times, why the temperatures, uh, how does it re- this relate to that? And, yeah, it is something we uh, started probably just three or four months back, uh, me and Hinda, with certainly the blessing of stone and wood, and it is just uh, sort of bloomed into, uh, you know, now the engineers want to beat the office staff, we want to beat the brewers. There's uh, probably uh, the latest uh, little competition, which is doing this uh, gatherer, forager type beer, easy to drink beer with additives that you could gather from the field, from the orchard or from from the sea or whatever. There's probably about 10 eight or ten different little groups are having a go at that right now. And, and I'm doing one right now with the uh, office crew from uh, Byron Bay. And uh, a bit of the theory has gone up on the uh, fridge, you know, what are trisaccharides, you know, what sucrose, uh, you know, how does starch break down, you know, how do the amylases work, all that sort of stuff, temperatures. There's a little bit of theory there uh, and it's gone down like a treat. And this is the office people so um it's been a, a great uh, little lesson uh, for everyone here a lot of fun and it you know it may result in the next big thing who knows now speaking of the next big thing i'm guessing that if we were to jump in the time machine and go back to 1971 and you were told you'd uh, you know you'd be brewing in one of australia's most popular independent breweries up in the northern rivers of New South Wales in, in 45 years' time. You, you you possibly would have laughed at them. What do the next five, ten years hold? Yeah, who knows, who knows. Uh, I feel very fortunate to be in the position I am. I'm healthy, still making and drinking craft beer. I'm in with a very, very successful uh, company. I'm in the great part of Australia as well. I really have to pinch myself a little bit that it's still happening. I don't want the uh, I don't want the magic uh, to end, and I've still got the enthusiasm. So, you know, I don't give myself any really long-term plans uh, other than uh, um, I want I want to stick around. Uh, I, I just love it. People in the in the beer industry, and you know, I've probably said it before, are generally, and it doesn't matter if it's in the brewery or in the trade or wherever, or the drinkers, uh, they're normally pretty nice. 
uh, people, um, you know, there's not too many unhappy people associated with beer industry. Um, it's just a great journey and there's so much variety. It's not as though you're sitting down and doing eight hours of one thing a day. It's doing different things all the time. It is so bloody interesting. Um, so, yeah. I, I want to last forever, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't help thinking there might just be um, just more than 330 mils of truth in that statement and that uh, <laughs> we're, we're, we're yet to see the last brew that uh, the Neil Whitten um, has, uh, has put his, his stamp on. Well, I've, there's uh, one little story with that. Uh, you know, people have loved this 7.0 Saison that came with um, a 70th, so they're now talking about, oh, we're, we're waiting now for the 8.0 for my 80th, so... <laughs> <laughs> you know they're now putting the pressure on <laughs> and we should point out that that beer was uh was was labeled uh it was it was an in-house so for those who are uh, hoping to to get their hands on some um bad luck it, it it hasn't been released out into the trade it was just kind of an in-house thing to celebrate your 70th but it was called saison du pops uh in deference to your uh your long-standing nickname in the biz yeah that's it uh i've always sort of looked after the youngsters um any of my um Ex Matilda Bay workmates, uh, I have a lot of love to them, and yeah, I was pops uh, to all of them, so it's sort of caught on here as well. Uh, Matt, before we let Neil go, no, mate, I, that was a great chat, Neil. Uh, thanks very much for joining us. I've got uh, nothing else that I wanted to ask. I'm uh, just very keen to have a beer with him soon. Yeah, mate, I'd uh, love to see you guys. Uh, we're a long way apart, uh, actually, business not that far away. But uh, always uh, talking to you guys and seeing you guys is, is a pleasure. And, uh, you know, what uh, better way to celebrate uh, successes and oh, celebrate anything is, uh, is over a nice craft beer, whatever it is. Uh, they're, they're all generally pretty good. So what a great industry we uh, are associated with. Uh, it's better than making nuts and bolts or something like that. I, so, uh, yeah, it's been a great journey and it's still continuing and I'd uh, love to see you guys again, yeah. Uh, cheers to that, Neil. Um, congratulations on the last 45 years and um, we raise a glass collectively here at Radio Bruce News on behalf of our listeners uh, to whatever comes in the future for Neil Whitten. And, Neil, thanks very much for joining us on Radio Bruce News. Thanks, Peter, and thanks, Matt. Thank you very much, Neil. See you later. Brews News is made possible by Brewpack, Australia's number one craft contract brewer. With over 100 craft beers and ciders on the roster and counting, Brewpack specialises in offering growing craft breweries a home for their packaged and kegged beer, no matter how crafty. Serious about handmade beers and with an open-door policy, Brewpack's brewers love having passionate, hands-on partners in the brewery. Thinking about craft contract brewing? Think Brewpack. And uh, yes, we thank Brewpack for not only making a whole lot of great craft beers possible, but also for making this podcast possible. (laughs) 